good morning, North Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Ryan. I'm thrilled that you've taken part of your Sunday and decided to come and join us here at the church. In just a moment, the North Church band's going to come out and lead us in a few songs. And then one of the Bible teachers is going to share with us a message that's going to challenge us and help us grow deeper in our relationship with the Lord. If you'd like to learn more about what's going on here at the church, find us online at northchurch.net. There you can scroll to the bottom of the homepage, click on e-bulletin, and learn all about the things happening throughout the life of our church. All in all, you can expect our service to last for about an hour today. And if after service you have any questions, go ahead and stop by the Info Center. There are happy volunteers would love to help you learn more about what's happening here at the church. Also, don't forget to check out our coffee bar. There we have a huge variety of hot drinks and cold drinks and tasty pastries for your enjoyment that is all supported by your generosity. Well, here at North Church, we have a huge passion for helping people connect in healthy and growing relationships. And if you're new here today or you've been coming for just a couple of weeks, you're invited to a brief little five-minute meeting right after service today called First Connect. There you get the chance to meet one of the pastors here on staff, learn about your next steps and what this church is all about. We look forward to seeing you there. River Baptism is coming up. August 9th, this is a huge party. If you've been part of North Church for any length of time, this is a celebration that you don't want to miss. Especially if you've been feeling that nudge from the Lord to take that next step and make that public declaration that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and you want the world to know about it, you can sign up for River Baptism right now online. We can't wait to see you there. North Church is a volunteer-driven community of followers of Christ, and there's over 300 people that serve regularly in ministries from kids to youth to coffee bar to worship team to tech, reaching out into the community and more. And you are an enormous part of what God is doing here at this church. We just wanted to take a moment and say thank you. Thank you for making that sacrifice. Thank you for making a difference and reaching out in the community and really gaining ground for the kingdom. If you're not serving right now and you want to learn more about your gifts and your next steps, find us after service today. We'd love to meet you, get to know you more, and help you take those next steps into serving in God's kingdom. Those are all the announcements that we have for you today. And if after service you are in need of prayer, please step forward. Members of our church and members of our prayer team would love the opportunity to agree with you in prayer. Also, right now, grab your mobile device and check in to North Church on Facebook. Every three check-ins right now provides an item for the World Relief Welcome Basket for refugees that are coming into Spokane. Thank you for participating in that and for your generosity. Well, right now, we're going to sing, Would You Please Stand?
You guys did that pretty good. I'm somewhat impressed. Well done. Hey, welcome. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Uh, it's my uh, joy to welcome you. Say how glad I am that you're here with us this morning. I hope you're as excited and enthusiastic about being, our, being here as we are to have you. And then especially if you are new or maybe newer to the church and you're looking to uh, get connected and figure out how to take next steps and where to belong, I would love to invite you to a meeting we do right after the service. It takes place right underneath the monitor on that wall over there for about five minutes. We call it First Connect, chance to introduce ourselves. I'll, get, I'll be there, I'll say hi, learn your name, uh, set up a chance to talk a little later on and just begin the process of getting to know one another. So I'll look forward to you then. For now, would you, in the time that we have, because every person in this room is special and matters. Would you turn around, say hello, greet those around you, and if you don't know that person's name, ask. It's a great way to learn. accepted God and it's my new step in my faith, you know, to accept him even more and have a build, build a stronger relationship with him. There's just nothing like somebody being raised to life and old going down the new coming up and it's just absolutely spectacular. Yeah, so as you can tell from that video, the river baptism is coming up. We do it every year. This year, it's on August the 9th, and I wanted to invite you to consider 
maybe whether this is your time to be baptized. Maybe this is a year in which you've decided to follow Jesus and you've made him Lord and Savior and stepped across that line of faith. This would be a great next step. Or maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, but you've never been baptized and you've never kind of taken that step of obedience that Jesus asks of those who would follow him. And this is your time to do that. If that's you and you're interested in maybe learning more or definitely know that you want to be baptized, we just need to know about it, so we'll need you to sign up out at the Information Center right after the service, and they'll get you going on that. If you're one of the folks who uh, may be watching with us on Facebook Live, maybe you're away on vacation, want to say welcome, we're glad that you're here, you also can sign up for the baptism. You can do that online at our website at northchurch.net under the Events tab, uh, and I encourage you to do that. It's going to be an incredible afternoon and evening, as it always is. How many of you here in the room have been to one of the river baptisms before? Right? So you know how great it is. There's a time of fun, there's some games, there's, some, uh, there's a potluck, which is excellent. Some people will tell you that maybe a potluck is not as spiritual as being baptized. I'd argue against that. <laughs> I think potluck can be incredibly spiritual. And in fact, I'm going to ask you to join me in helping to make the potluck part of that incredibly spiritual. I want you to begin planning now for August 9th. Hop on Pinterest or Google or in your cookbook or whatever it is you do to find that next level potluck recipe. <laughs> begin thinking, begin preparing. If you need to grow your own fruits and vegetables as a part of that, it's never too soon. If you, if you marinate things, let's start it soaking right now because we want to take this from just like potluck to next level spiritual adventure just based on the food. And then, then we'll be ready to enjoy the baptisms which are an incredibly powerful celebration as well. So get that ready. That is going to be a great time. Wednesday, August the 9th, save the date. That's going to be terrific. We're going to continue to sing and to worship. And so I'm going to ask you uh, to go ahead and stand up as we make our hearts ready to sing with joy to the Lord. Well, we have a new song for you this morning. It's called Alive in You. And it's all about living in the name of Jesus in times of darkness and trials. Um, so I hope you enjoy it and sing with us. This whole world may be 
together we have this opportunity together this is what we do when we worship we declare how great and mighty and magnificent is the name of Jesus our Lord and as great and magnificent as that name is the one who owns that name is one who knows each one of us by name as well who looks down into our life and into our hearts and into the depths of all that's going on and knows and understands and who would speak to us by name and declare his love and his care and his healing and his wholeness. And we get to meet that one who bears this name, the name at which every knee will bow and at which every tongue will confess that he is Lord. We get to meet with that person in the place of prayer. To hear from him, to hear from him what he would say to us in the very specific nature of our circumstances. In that moment where we get to pour out our heart to him and say, Jesus, this is where I need you to be at work in my life and get to hear him say, I am at work in your life and I love you and I care and I'm working. Will you, as we take these next few moments in prayer, listen for the Lord, the Lord's voice speaking to you, declaring his love. And would you pour out your heart to him? Let's spend a couple minutes praying. just thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for who you are. God, and that your name is good and holy. God, we just worship you this morning. We love you and we thank you, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, at this time we're going to receive our tithes and offerings. So if you brought a gift, you can go ahead and prepare that. Just want to thank you for all of you who so generously give. We're able to do so much good uh, in our church and in our city and around our world by the generous gifts that you bring on a weekly or monthly basis. And so thank you for that. Um, And so ushers can come forward and we're going to take that now. Well, good morning. Glad you're all here. Um, 
I haven't spoken in a while because uh, I decided to go and continue my education. And my wife also decided to go and continue her education at the same time. And so I just got done with kind of an intense season in uh, our schoolwork. And so I'm back here and I've come to say, this is what I've learned so far. Young people, value your education before you get married and have children. <laughs> then it gets very difficult. But I've learned a lot, had a really great time doing it. So and I'm just glad to be a part of a church who values that and has uh, given me the opportunity to do that as well. So, hey, so we're in this series uh, called The Good Life, looking at the Ten Commandments. And we've looked at a few of these so far. We've looked at the first five. Uh, so we've looked at, you shall uh, not have any other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy and honor your father and mother. So this morning, we will be covering the sixth commandment. It comes out of Exodus 20, verse 13, which is, you shall not murder. Well, that's it, everyone. Have a great week. Uh, pretty much speaks for itself, so grab a cup of coffee on your way out, and uh, don't murder anyone this week, okay? <laughs> hey, this, this, is an e this is an easy one, right? We all got this one. We all got you shall not murder, right? It's kind of one of those uh, out of the Ten Commandments list that most of us go like, I got that one. Check that one off the box, you know? Um, for the most part, most of us probably feel that way, like, don't have them all, but I got that one. <laughs> one for 10. <laughs> feel good? <laughs> feel good? Kind of speaks for itself. Most people believe murder is wrong. I mean, even non-Christians, people who don't believe in the Bible, atheists, you know, most people in their right mind go, yeah, murder is wrong. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that one. You shall not murder. But how do you know murder is wrong? How do you know it's wrong? Maybe you, maybe you believe it's wrong, but maybe there's someone else who believes in the world that under certain circumstances, it's okay. It's fine. So, so how do you know murder is wrong? Plenty of people have come along through history, a figure in government or a certain ideology convinced masses of people that under certain circumstances, murder is okay. You know, the elderly, sick, disabled, they're a burden to the state. So we get rid of them. And, and plenty of people, their belief has changed on this subject throughout history. Four men murdered 170 five million people in the 20th century, who is Hitler, Stalin, Lenin, Mao. That plenty of people, their belief changed. So how do you know that murder is wrong? Well, because the Bible tells us so. God told us that it is wrong. It's not just a belief but we know it is wrong because God told us. If God didn't tell us, then really it's just a belief. It's an idea. But we know it's wrong because God told us. So here we have these 10 commandments. We have two tablets. And uh, on 
uh, both had five commandments on them. Um, we're on the second set of tablets now, which have six through 10, which are you shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, or bear false witness, or covet. And here on these second set of commandments we have, they're all regarding how we deal with one another. Uh, the second set are all about how we live our lives in community with everyone else on the earth. Things we should not do. And at the top of this list is the value and the sanctity of life. God puts it above all the others saying, this is the most prized possession right here, which is life. The sanctity of life. God deeply cares about life. That we're made in the image of God. The Bible says that, that God breathed his life into us. That every person is, is made in the image of God and we are all walking on this earth and we are all a representation of God himself. And that he really values life. He values your life. No matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, he values your life. And we see in these next five commandments that God cares about how we also live our lives with other people and, and, and how we treat others and how we think about others and how we uh, build relationships and what we do regarding our neighbors and our friends and, and what is happening in our heart. We see that God really cares about life and how we live life with others. And the most important, above all, he puts on the second list is the sanctity of life. We're uniquely marked by God. But we live in a society, many of you might agree, that has become increasingly more and more desensitized to many of these commandments, right? That they don't hold maybe the same weight as they used to. And that I would say that our societies become increasingly more desensitized to the sixth commandment, which is murder and the value and the sanctity of life. That we see in media, movies, TV, video games. You know, I saw some studies and statistics that showed the average teen will witness thousands and thousands of murders by the time uh, they graduate high school. I saw one that said that the average team will, will uh, view over 50,000 murders just through video games, movies, TV, things like that. That just see a lot. And it just desensitizes over time to God's heart to this commandment. That the value of life and it's easy to kind of go through life right and every time you turn on Fox News or CNN or whatnot and you just see all the crazy things that happen in the world and you see, you know, things that are happening around just genocide and murders and killings, you know, terrorism and all this stuff. And it's just easy to go like, yeah, man, that is wrong. I believe it's wrong. It's the sixth commandment. And then you just kind of move through your life, right? It's just kind of like, it's just there. And then it just happens on a, on a daily newspaper, you know, all the stuff, right? It's just there, comes and goes. And it's easy to, even in our own country, look at things that happen in our own country and just kind of become desensitized to them a little bit. And, and big issues and, and, and things that happen and just, yeah, it's wrong, but you know, oh well, what can we do about it? You know, oh well. 
and we move on. One way I feel like our country has become desensitized to the sixth commandment, the sanctity and the value of life, is the protection of the unborn. Now, this message is not intended to address all the issues in, uh, regarding uh, the lives of the unborn when discussing this commandment. I understand that this topic can be lengthy, sensitive, and complicated. And this me message really is not intended to fully address it, and we are gonna move on from this in just a moment. But I do believe that we can look at this, this issue of abortion and we can look to the Bible to find truth. And not just again, see it and move on. Since Roe versus Wade passed in 1973, the US has almost 60 million, I, looked, I took these numbers from yesterday, has almost 60 million documented, documented abortions. That's more than all the people currently living in California Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, Utah, Wyoming, Wyoming, and Nevada combined. Just wiped out, gone. This year alone, there's already been almost 500,000 documented abortions in the US. And I would say that we have become increasingly desensitized to the sixth commandment, which is should not murder. Now. Some people might say, well, it's, not a, it's a matter of choice. And I would argue that it is not. That it is a matter of murder. So we have to ask the question, if we know that murder is ending one's life immorally, so begs the question of when does life begin? And I would stand here and tell you that life begins at conception. Scientifically, medically, for the most part, we know this. There's so much data, so much scientific and medical evidence that would show that life begins at conception, that there's a little life in there. Every mother who's ever had an ultrasound knows that you see the baby. I've been there to witness both of our ultrasounds. You know that it's got little fingers and toes and a head, and you see the heart, and, and we know. But it doesn't really matter what I believe, right? It doesn't really matter what I think. Maybe my belief is different than your belief. That's fine. But what does matter is what does the Bible say? What does God say about the issue? That's what really matters because we know the Bible tells us that it, the scripture is God-breathed, is inspired and written through him by him. And we know that the Bible is living and active that is for us today not for people of old, that we know the words of, of the Bible are trustworthy and true. And so let me give you just a few reasons why I believe that the Bible, God says that life begins at conception. First one comes out of Psalm 51, five, where it says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me that you were sinful from the time you were conceived. And we know that the Bible only speaks of people being sinful uh, about people. Humans are sinful. That, that's what it talks about. Only a human, a person, could be sinful. And the Bible tells us that you were sinful 
at conception. Second thing is Isaiah and Jeremiah, two prophets in the Bible, say they both tell us that they were called for their prophetic ministry from their mother's womb. They were set apart in their mother's womb. Third, we also see Luke uh, 1 write about this in verse 15 about John the Baptist, him saying that he was filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. That means an unborn child is a sinner waiting to come out. Moms, you know that, right? Sinner, right? It's a sinner. It can be saved by the work of the Holy Spirit in the womb. can be set apart for ministry in the womb. These are only things that the Bible refers to for humans, people, a life. Another thing out of Psalms 139, verse 13 and 14, says, you formed me and you created my inmost beings. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful I know them full well. That there's, even though the baby's not born and doesn't have the relationship with God that you and I have, we see here that God is involved in the womb. He's the one that's knitting the baby together and that he has this relationship with the baby even in the womb. Again, a relationship only that a person would have. Last thing uh, is this that God reveals himself as a father. He reveals himself as, as a father. He could have revealed himself in any way that he wanted to, but he reveals himself as a father who cares and loves his children. We see this uh, in many dis- different instances in the Bible, but I'm gonna bring up two really quick. One is this beloved story in Luke 18, where Jesus is sitting there, and all the little children come and run up and gather around him and jump on his lap and start playing with him, you know, pulling on his beard, and he's laughing and he's having this great time. It's this beloved story in the Bible. People make artwork about this with Jesus, with all the children around him. And and even non-Christians love this story, right? Because they get this picture that Jesus is like Santa Claus, and it's like everyone loves Santa Jesus. So here's here's the children, and they're they're playing with him, and, and the New Testament is written in Greek, And so the word used for these children in Greek is brephos. And then we also see that Luke writes in chapter two about a young woman, a young, single, poor, teenage woman named Mary. And it says that she has a brephos inside of her. The Bible has plenty of words that it could use in Greek to describe children or kids, but God specifically uses this, that the same word that it uses for all the children climbing on Jesus, and the baby inside Mary's womb is a brephos. Distinguishes them no different. It is a brephos. Lastly, how God is the father is that the, the, the true father's heart is to care and fight and fend for their kids. Dads, you know this, that you, you want to fend for your kids. And God the father wants to fend for his kids as well. And so we see this real world example that in Exodus 20, this is where we see uh, you shall not murder. In Exodus 21, we get this very clear picture of what this looks like. It says that two men were fighting 
And it says, if these two men are fighting and hit a pregnant woman, and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. So two men are fighting, there's a pregnant woman there, and they accidentally elbow her, right? She has the baby prematurely, but everything's okay. The guy just gets fined for whatever the court says is, you know, worth it or whatnot. But then it goes on to say, it says, but if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. In the sight of God, an unborn child has legal rights. Has legal rights. That if you accidentally hit a pregnant woman because you're being an idiot fighting with another guy and that baby dies, God says life for life. Foot for foot. The baby has legal rights. Here's the thing. We have become desensitized to the sixth commandment. This is a human rights issue that we must speak into our culture and stand for the rights of the unborn and not become and continually become more and more desensitized to murder. But here's the good news, is that Jesus died for murderers. Jesus himself was murdered. And as he hung there on the cross for something that he didn't do, that wasn't his choice, he said these words, Father, forgive them. Jesus died for murderers. And if you have not reconciled the fact as a man that you convinced your girlfriend to drive her to the clinic and get a procedure done, convince her to take a pill, as a woman had an abortion, God loves you. He deeply forgives you if you ask. And there's a time, you know, at the end of the service, I would love to pray with you if that is you. But it can be easy though, like as we talk about some of these hard things, to think that um, I don't get what's it for me. God didn't write this commandment for me. That yeah, sure, people in the world who take lives unjustly and things that happen here in our country and you know, sure, like, yeah, God wrote the commandment for them, but it's not really addressing me. So what part do we all play, all of us, no matter who you are, play into this commandment? And Jesus addresses this in a really clear way in Matthew 5, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's this wonderful message that he gives that we can all take from. Let's read it together. It comes out of Matthew 5, starting in verse 21. He says, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, rakah, which pretty much means uh, you good for nothing piece of, right? good-for-nothing piece of rakah, right? <laughs> is answerable to court. Anyone who says, you fool, 
to a friend, you know, a coworker, a family member, out of anger will be danger, will be in danger of the fire of hell. That's hard stuff to hear, right? Not easy to hear those things. Um, quick story for you, I, uh, I ride a scooter every day. It's awesome. I go about 35 miles an hour. And uh, I kind of get frustrated in traffic sometimes. When I'm driving a car, I get frustrated in traffic. Anyone else get frustrated in traffic sometimes? Someone cuts you off and you're like, you good for nothing piece of raka. <laughs> for real? I get easily offended in traffic. Anyone have just like that crazy friend who drives that you feel like your life is in jeopardy every time you're with them? <laughs> I know a few people like that. You do things at all costs not to be the passenger in that car. Like, oh, I'll walk. Don't worry. <laughs> but you know what I, I, I value is if someone's about to cut me off and I, let, and I go, you know, you give them the go ahead, all I want is a wave, you know, like a, <laughs> thanks. Someone di- doesn't give me the wave, I'm thinking in my head, raka, right? <laughs> like for real, I gave you the, it was me, I could have sped ahead. But when I'm on my scooter, senses are heightened because you know no one sees you and you're like oh get out of my way you know and you're just like ah people are cutting you off because they don't see you and so senses are heightened and i'm just thinking like watch out for the scooterist man <laughs> so i'm driving last year and i'm coming down wall and i'm going to turn on cascade right over here if you know what i'm talking about that that road and i'm at the stoplight and there's this guy in front of me and he's on his phone like you know flipping through facebook and i'm like for real bro you're on Facebook, you know, the light turns green and he still has, he's not moving forward because he's like, I'm like, come on, seriously. I'm about to lay on my horn, but I'm like, I'm on a scooter. And so I don't, <laughs> and so finally he kind of notices and he pops up and he turns on the Cascade, takes a right-hand turn on the Cascade. And I'm also taking a right turn on the Cascade. And if you know Cascade, you know, the road right out here, it's got that big bike lane that, you know, bikes can go in and people park their cars right there. He turns into the bike lane. So naturally I'm thinking he's going to park there, whatever he wants to keep going through his Instagram feed. And so I just, you know, turn and just keep going on my normal right of path, you know? And so like right as I'm about from me to the front row here, he, he like literally turns like makes like a sharp left turn and slams his, like slams on his brakes. He tries to legitimately hit me. And so uh, there I am, he just turned and it's like all, you know, slow motion, right? So what do I do? I slam on my brakes and I, I kind of let my bike slide down. So it kind of goes down. And at the same time, I jump off. And so I'm going like 25 miles an hour. And so I'm like flying through the air like, oh my goodness. And then I just land legitimately. I kid you not. I just land on my feet. There I am. And I'm just like, whoa, what just happened? Bro, he, for some reason, he's mad, so he sticks his head out the window, and he's just like, U-M-F-M-F, mother, right? And I'm just like, what just happened? And so all of a sudden, he gets out of his car. Things start to escalate super quickly. This bro is really mad about him trying to hit me. And then here I am, really mad that you just tried to hit me. And so he's going from like zero to hero. And what do I naturally do? 
go from zero to hero too. So he is, you know, words are being said, words are being said on my end too. I'm just like, you recall, you know, like you good for nothing. And I'm just, you fool, you idiot, how could you? Now there's the, the, the other end of traffic and they're at that light at Cascade. The light's gone like red, green a few times and they're just all standing there, sitting there. I don't know if they were like just completely perplexed about how did that dude just jump off his scooter and land? Or like if they just wanted some like real life reality TV, like I think something's gonna go down. And so this bro, he's just getting mad and I'm getting mad, we're saying things. I start, I pointed a guy in a truck and I'm like, you get out of your car. And he's like, oh. <laughs> like, what, oh God, what do I do right now? And I'm like, get out, call 911. Did you just see this idiot? So he gets out and he's like, oh, yeah, what do you want me to do? And I'm there and I'm just like, oh, call 911. And I see, you know, bro over here and he's kind of like getting his shorts ready, you know, like he's ready to like, and so here I am kind of like getting my, you know, helmet ready because I'm going to like, you know, do something with it. And, and so he's like, going to town and so things are about they're like right on the cusp of like it's the real deal people it's right on that cusp and the whole line of traffic is just sitting there someone's probably got their phone out like live stream you know <laughs> guys at the road and so here I am the guy started like and then his girlfriend comes out and you can hear her like you know yelling like Brad what the Brad you know and here I am getting my helmet off and I'm kind of swinging it getting ready to you know do something and so this guy, he comes at me and his girlfriend kind of gets in between us and she's just like yelling and screaming and she kind of like calms him down in the way that many women do. And th we thank you for that and how you, you just ease tense situations sometimes. And so we, we ironed it out. <sighs> Here's the thing though, getting angry, it's easy to be in tense situations. But that was wrong how I handled that. That wasn't right of me that, you know, I called bro, you good for nothing, piece of rakah, right? You tried to hit me. God says that is wrong. We should not enter into relationships and people with that mindset. That was wrong of you, Nate, to do that. And it's funny, and I look back on it now, and it's kind of a, this funny story that, oh, a guy tried to hit me on my scooter. But it was wrong, the interchange that we had. Because it's easy to get angry. When little things happen, whether it's just someone cuts you off or someone tries to hit you, it's easy. Yeah, I didn't get any insurance money, by the way, either. Man, I fought that hard, hard. I'm still a little bit better. I drive past, like, his house on the daily because I got his insurance stuff and I see where he lives. I literally drive by his house. <laughs> it's easy to get angry. And uh, emotions in it of themselves, they're not sinful, but over time they can become like a rotten piece of fruit that one thing may be intended for good. It's okay to be angry at times. We see in the Bible that, that Jesus gets angry and we see Paul tells us, you know, it's okay to be angry in certain circumstances, but emotions aren't necessarily bad, but it reveals our real heart condition if we're willing just to let our tempers flare and let words fly. That, God, that Jesus says, don't be so quick to judge someone if your heart is also have murder in your heart. Here's another way to think of it. I'm gonna put two people up here on the screen. You got bro here, right? Joe Blow here. 
That was like the bro that came at me. And, and then over here, you got Susie Sunday School, right? And so bro here is like, yeah, of course he's mad. Of course he has a temper. Maybe he gets in fights. Maybe he does some bad things. And it's like he, went, he yells and screams and MF this and MF that, right? And all those things that take place. But then over here, you got Susie Sunday School. She's never hurt a fly. You know, she's got her holy fist, like the sword of the spirit and she goes to church and reads her bible her dad's a pastor for goodness sake like she couldn't do anything wrong but for able to see really what her real heart is and what her thoughts are we would see that yeah she says i hate you you stupid incompetent idiot <laughs> and what jesus says is there's no difference there's no difference between the person who has these extreme acts of, 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 of violence or someone that just has murder, hatred, anger in the heart. Obviously, the consequences on earth are much different, but it really shows our need for a savior. It really shows our true heart condition. Surely, we've all at least been angry to another person. It shows our heart. Most time, anger comes out because of conflict, and, and we get angry in conflict, and conflict creates anger, and, and vice versa. But we're in those tense moments, and those moments where it's just so easy to let words fly. So easy just to let your anger and hatred in your heart come out. It's an opportunity to show others whom we belong to, who is Jesus. We're able to bring life into what a tense situation might be. Proverbs 18, 21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. Our words are powerful. Throughout the Bible, we see this picture that God is of life and Satan is of death and that we get an opportunity, we could bring life into a situation or we could bring pain, sorrow, death into a situation. And Jesus really wants us to care for our relationships, even in the midst of conflict. And conflict is gonna happen, and people are gonna be angry, and words are gonna be said, and people's feelings are gonna get hurt, and people are gonna get offended. And Jesus speaks to this in the very next verse, where he says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. God cares about our relationships with others so much and he full knows what anger and what hatred and what bitterness will do in our heart that he says, even if you are at church and you're there to worship me and you remember that there is someone, there's a brother, there's a family member, there is a friend, there's a coworker and you know that they have something against you, you should get up and leave church and go and reconcile, then come back and worship me. Some of you, you might need to, you know, oh, I need a second cup of coffee and scoot out. Not because you're not welcome under any circumstance, because that's how God so values life in relationships. That he says, you go and do that first before you come and you worship. That's how much he cares, but it's hard to do, right? It's really hard to do. We'll come up with every excuse under the sun not to do it. Well, you know, it's, it's their fault. It was what they did. It was, you know, I can't face it right now. It's too hard. It's hot outside and my temper flares when it gets hot and I'm hungry. You can't be hangry in a conversation. Things are gonna go bad. We don't do it honestly though because it's difficult. 
We have to lay our pride down. You have to go open up wounds and you have to go talk about pain and conflict and resolving it. Because resolving conflict, it takes something from you and it's costly. But not resolving it is more costly. Not resolving is more costly because you always lose. You lose the friend. The marriage is hurt. The son or daughter go to bed angry. Whatever it is, you always lose. It's more costly if it goes unresolved. Here's the thing, I, I looked at some stuff. The number one determinant for a marriage to stay together is can the couple successfully deal with conflict? Can two people that said, I do, come together and say, will you forgive me? I'm sorry for this. That's it. The number one determinant, if people can't do that, then it, it creates strain over time and different issues arise up and things happen. And can two people be able to sit down and have the mindset to resolve something and not just come together to win, right? But it feels good to win. Married couples, you know what I'm talking about. We love to win. Winning is, feels really good. It feels so good when you made such a good point and you win. I love winning. But those who only seek to win always lose. Those who seek only to win always lose. Because if that is your, that is how you deal with conflict is to go in and say, you did this X, Y, Z, and you good for nothing, right? Can end up there pretty quickly. Yeah, maybe the other person concedes and you win and you feel so good about it. But man, boy, does it put strain. And does it, walls start to get built brick by brick. God desires people to come to him with clean hands and a pure heart. Approach him in worship with, I care about what you care about. You deeply care about life and relationships. We all have people in our lives that are probably holding on to something against us or we're holding on to something against them. Jesus says, go and resolve it. Just good rule of thumb is that if Tommy has something against you, don't go to Tommy's ex-girlfriend and talk to her about it. Don't go to your other friend and talk to her about it. Don't go to your small group and say, will you pray for me, guys, and reveal sensitive information. That's just gossip. Talk to the people who are part of the solution or the problem. So here's the thing, healthy relationships, they're marked with conflict. Healthy relationships, there's conflict that happens and you gotta work through it. But unresolved conflict usually marks the lives of unhealthy people. That if, if you're gonna be in relationship, there's gonna be conflict. If there's no conflict, it's like, are you breathing? Are you alive? Do you have any emotional capacity whatsoever? Healthy relationships have conflict. Unresolved conflict usually marks the lives of unhealthy people. God asks us to resolve conflict. We had, my wife and I, we had some really, some really good friends years ago and uh, we loved doing life together and Things happen, right? Words were said, there was kind of a falling out. You know what I'm talking about, maybe you've been there, where you had a really good friend and you had a falling out. And in the initial moments, um, in days, weeks, months afterwards, we felt justified, like, 
we kind of parted ways, you gotta cut the negative out of your life or whatnot. We felt justified by like, you can't have, you know, can't have people like that in our life or whatever it was. But over time, God continually brought it back and brought it back and brought it back that you need to resolve this conflict. There's unresolved conflict. And if you're a part of a conflict, you have a part in the conflict. That if you're a part of it in any way and you know that there's any type of conflict, you're a part of the conflict, you have a part in the conflict. And we knew that God kept bringing it up back and, back and forth, back and forth, that we need to do this. We need to go and own 100% of our part. That's it. Own 100% of our part. And maybe our part was 50% or 60%. Maybe for some people in the room that went through really deep tra tragedy, and maybe you faced you know, abuse of some kind and you didn't deserve it in any way and it's 99% their fault, but maybe you've just harbored hatred or, or you've said bad words, you didn't respect your mother or your father or whatever it was, and maybe you just owned 1% because you hated the person. God continually brought it to us to say, go own 100% of your 50%. Maybe for you, it's just own 100% of your 1%. Own 100% of your 80%, whatever it may be. And so we did that. I got with the husband. Chantel got with the wife. We met together. Literally, over the course of like three or four years, we did this multiple times. It took time and effort. It was costly. It took emotional uh, uh, burden to do it. But to this day, we're really great friends because we are willing to do that. And it's just in the past now and we're just good friends. And I've seen plenty of times conflict happen and marriages, friendships be mended together. I've also seen them being torn apart based off of can you resolve the conflict? In life, we get these opportunities to seek after resolution. We get these opportunities and God says do it because that is how much he cares about our relationships. And hopefully we get to a spot in life where we're just really, we're not just uh, entering into all this conflict, but we actually overlook the conflict. We overlook the offenses. Proverbs 19.11 says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Or to overlook it, just to not let it harm you so much. That, that you can just forgive easily. Love and forgive and not just every little thing is tick for tack and just overlook offenses and live in peace and in harmony. Imagine a world, imagine a city, imagine a family that lived that way, that just overlooked offenses and was willing to enter into conflict and talk about it. Own your 100% of whatever percent it is and just say those powerful words that Jesus gave us, forgive Forgive me, forgive me of this, not why did you do that, why did you do this, but forgive me. Here's my 100% of my percentage. Why? Because Jesus continually overlooks. He continually forgives. And in the many times that we've caused trespasses against him and people murderers and, and people who have anger and bitterness and hatred in their heart, God continually forgives and asks us to do the same. He died for you, he loves you, and he deeply wants the best for you, and he upholds life and our relationships with people around us. Jesus deeply cares for our relationships. He cares for your life. He cares for the sanctity of life and the value of the relationships we're in. So maybe for some of you, you already know 
after church, you need to go and resolve a conflict today. And you're thinking of that person right now. Let me pray for them. God, we just love you and thank you. Lord, and we just, God, we look to you in a subject that is so difficult and so hard and challenging. God, and we pray that you'd give us strength. God, that you would inspire us to say yes to your word and regarding our relationships. God, and we just pray for the people in the room that still have unresolved regret, pain when it comes to real, deep pain regarding abortion. Lord, we pray that you would, God, you just give a fresh sense of your love and your forgiveness. God, that you'd move in the hearts of those people and know that they have high value and that God values them deeply. Lord, and we pray that you would give us wisdom and love to go and speak into conflict in a healthy way that it might be resolved that we could have clean hands and a pure heart. Pray this in your name. Amen. That's a, that's a lot to process this morning, and I suspect for many of us there's a, kind of some internal churning going on, and we just know we need to continue doing business with the Lord, which is terrific. Make sure you do that. If praying with someone would help uh, in that, or whether you just have a particular need you'd like someone to pray with you about, our prayer team will be over here on this side up at the front. You can come up and meet with them and pray with them, and that will be great. For those who are new, newer to the church, looking to get together for the first connect, I'd love to meet you for about five minutes over here on this side underneath the monitor. And I just want to, uh, Nate, about that whole scooter thing. Sorry, man, I didn't see you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Thanks for resolving it and quit driving past my house. <laughs> hey, watch out for scooters as you turn on to Division. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. <laughs>